Real change requires real action. And who knew that better than the reformer Martin Luther? Recently, the Christian world celebrated the 500th year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. In their time, the reformers brought about a complete transformation of religion and society. But 500 years later, how much of their legacy remains with us? Is the Reformation still relevant, or is it time for the Christian world to move on to new heroes and fresh stories? Welcome to the GYC Beyond podcast. In this episode, Adam Roundon sits down to discuss these ideas with me as we unpackage the meaning and relevance of Christian history in the 21st century. Adam currently serves the North England Conference as Youth Director and the Director of Peace and Evangelism Training School. Adam is passionate about Christian history and has become known for his involvement with Lineage Journey, a video documentary series covering the Protestant Reformation. So thank you very much, Adam, for joining us and being um, available to answer some of the questions that we have. Sure. Um, Obviously today, you know, you're known for a lot of different things, but recently you've been putting out uh, videos on Christian heritage with Lineage Mm -hmm. Journey. How did you first become interested in Christian history? Uh, I, I used to like history in general, uh-huh. before Christian history. I studied it in school. It was just kind of something I was always interested in. Um, Christian history just kind of built out of that, knowing what our heritage is. And then living in England, it's a privilege to have access to actually be able to visit some of these historic sites that were kind of close to me, right. Oxford or Cambridge or Lutterworth. And so I was able to actually visit them. And, I think when you actually visit places that you read about, it brings what you read about more to life. Mm-hmm. So maybe in that sense, I've been a little bit more privileged than, than others who haven't had a chance to visit. Mm-hmm. Maybe that awakened interest as well. And then, you know, that was something I would, I would like to read and right. get, get started from that. Okay, that's awesome. So as you've gone through and you've visited a lot of different places and mm-hmm. you've obviously read stories and, and got um, more research... Why do you think the record of Christian history is important for young people today? How is it relevant? It's relevant because today there's a, there's a strong yearning uh-huh. or desire to know what our individual identity is. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of on, a, on an ethnic level. It's kind of on a who am I as a person. Mm-hmm. But it also, you know, I think who we are spiritually plays into that. Mm-hmm. And so people are wondering who they are and where they come from. It's one of the big questions in life. And so you don't really know who you are unless you know where you come from. Right. And so... it's a good point. I think spiritually that just plays out. Well, who are you? Whatever religion you are, where does that religion come from? What are its origins? What are its roots? And is it something you can trust? Mm-hmm. And so Christianity, who we are today, there's a heritage that we have inherited. Mm-hmm. And what is that? What, you know, how has what was built in the past played into our identity today? And so I think it's relevant in that sense because it gives... Knowing the past, where we come from, gives us identity today, which then gives us mission or purpose as to where we're going. Mm-hmm. I like how you talk about it gives us an identity or a purpose about where we're going. How has your study of Christian history um, formed and shaped your own sense of identity? Uh, good question. I think, you know, just knowing the, the various characters and mm-hmm. how what we believe today is kind of... I don't want to say a fusion, but it's kind of there's different people that rediscovered certain truths that kind of form a basis of what I would believe today. And so that mm-hmm. it's interesting to know well, it didn't just kind of drop on one individual, but God was working through different people over time that may or may not have known each other. And so mm-hmm. you can kind of see a divine hand behind that as God was kind of working through his people and through a movement. And I think that kind of 
gives a greater sense of appreciation that mm -hmm. who we are today is not just formed in a vacuum. Right. There's a heritage to it. Okay. You know, I like how also you say, like, we're not formed in a vacuum. I think often today we feel disconnected from our history and our mm -hmm. past. Yeah. And um, I love that you're trying to get us back and have a look at that history and past. Um, is there a difference when you read about these Christians and you go and you visit the places where they lived? Is there a difference that you see with how they understood their mission and identity and how we kind of understand ourselves as Christians today? Maybe. But there's some similarities too. They were living in, in, in a world that was very much anti to where mm -hmm. they were standing their theological or their, their philosophical stands that was kind of, they were against the grain. And in many ways today, to a, with different context, Christianity is against the grain again. Mm -hmm. Or depending what type of belief you have, you're even more against the grain. And so in that sense, I think there are similarities. What we may be called to stand for today are probably different issues mm -hmm. than, with, than were alive then. But we can still get the same core kind of that understanding that you're kind of against the crowd or that you're on your own or you're against the grain. We see that as a common thread through history. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I think is both inspirational, motivational, and you know, gives us confidence as well. Mm -hmm. Are there any particular you know, individuals that you have in mind when you think about people going against the grain in a way that we can emulate today? John Wycliffe is one. Uh -huh. He's one of my favorite. When he was around, there was only one church in Europe. You didn't have an option as to which church you wanted to pick to go to. There was just one. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of the first person that started to speak out against the corruption in that church and try to, and try to bring some change. Mm -hmm. And he really went against the grain in many areas. Martin Luther's another one that really, you know, went against the grain, had to make a stand on his own against the whole system of Christianity in his country. And he had to make that stand on his own. Mm -hmm. um, there was others that supported him later on, but, you know, he was only a young man as well. The, the other thing that stands out to me, just kind of bouncing off this, right. is how many of the reformers were were young. Mm -hmm. Now, we always look at them, at least I did. Maybe I'm not saying we, maybe you don't. But I, I would look at the pictures and look at the pictures and think, you know, first of all, half the time it's black and white. Uh -huh. But then they just have a way of painting them where they just look like they're old men. Right. You know? And you just assume, well, Martin Luther was an old guy and, and William <laughs> Tyndale was an old guy and... You know, John Calvin wasn't, you know, you would, when you actually look at the, the age that they did most of the things that they did, most of them actually did it, you know, this side of 40 or this side of 30, mm. and the lower side. And so they were most of the time young men. Uh -huh. And to me, I find that quite encouraging because I never kind of sat down before and looked at their birthday and then <laughs> when they did that and added up the years. I thought, oh, he was only that old, you know? Like when William Tyndale translated the, the New Testament, he was like 32. Oh, that's incredible. Which yeah. means he had to have done the bulk of it in his in his 20s. Yeah. You know? Sure. So that's something that kind of, well, kind of bounces off you. Yeah. So, you know, like, I like how you point out their age because often, you know, today we think that I can't do what they did because mm. I'm too young or I don't have the, the skills or the abilities. Mm -hmm. When you look at these people's stories and lives, what stands out that helped them achieve those things and helped them have that character to do incredible things at a young age? One common trend, I think, or common thread you find from person to person to person is, is the, the, the characteristic of, of integrity, mm -hmm. um, the characteristic of duty to the truth. Mm. And you find that again and again. 
Um, John Wycliffe, he was asked once, he said, with whom do you think you're contending? With an old man on the brink of the grave. And he said, no, you're contending with truth. Truth that's stronger than you and truth that will overcome you. And I think a common thread that you see throughout all these reformers is they understood that however big or important other people thought they were, they were smaller than the truth that they were trying to defend or teach. And that's something you find through all of them. They all, none of them got, as we would use the phrase today, too big for their boots or believed their own hype too much. Uh-huh. They all understood that the cause that they were fighting for was bigger than them. Mm. And, and, and it was that cause that would move forward with or without them. Um, that's kind of a phrase you may have thought, a text, you can do nothing against the truth before the truth. Uh-huh. And I think you see that in their lives over and over again. That's kind of a common recurring theme. Right, so developing a character of integrity and mm-hmm. putting the truth above yourself yeah. so that you're not greater than the things that you're mm-hmm. working for. And I think going along with that would be a, a characteristic of humility. Uh-huh. Like, like, you have that belief when you don't see yourself as so important. Another common thread is none of them plan to be reformers. Huh. Like, none of them are like, what's your career plan? Well, I want to be a... No, no. <laughs> like, they were just wanting to be faithful. Uh-huh. And then God blessed them in different areas. But there were many other reformers that we have no idea what their names are, who were faithful, but they weren't famous. Hmm. But Martin Luther never wanted to be a great public figure. He himself said the publicity didn't appeal to me. Um, John John Wycliffe never... You know, they, they, they all just wanted to do what was right. Mm-hmm. And... They were humble, and I think God was able to bless them in a way that other people may not have been able to handle. Right. We've been talking a lot about um, not just Christian history, but specifically reformers. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this past year has been the 500th anniversary of what people consider the beginning of the Reformation. Mm -hmm. How is the Reformation relevant to me today? Does it even matter anymore? I think it does matter Mm -hmm. to answer the short answer. I think it does matter. The Reformation wasn't so much an event or a place. Mm -hmm. We often think the Reformation took place in Europe on this year when Martin Luther did this action. But I think that the Reformation is more the ideas behind it. And the bigger ideas behind the the Reformation was a challenge of... uh, was a challenge of unscriptural practices in the church. It was a challenge of corruption. It was a challenge of, of what was wrong in society. And it was the idea that the Bible could be read by all men, that um, all of us should have equal access. Hmm. And I think many of these same principles still are around today. And in that sense, I think it's relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still relevant in the sense that the principles that they live for, the freedom that they wanted for others, as well as for themselves, is still relevant today. Mm-hmm. So as a young person, are there things that they stood for that I should want to stand for as well that you see important? I think so. I think the, like, yeah, one of the people that stands out is William Tyndale. And one of the, the reason why I like him, he was 42 when he died or thereabouts. I'm not exactly sure off the top of my head. I think he was around 42. Mm -hmm. He died a fugitive. The last 11 years of his life, he lived on the run Mm -hmm. in Europe, constantly chased. He wanted to translate the Bible the king forbade the translation of the Bible. He was a foremost theologian who was from England, mm-hmm. even though he wasn't living there. And there were some people that tried to bring a reconciliation between him and the king. And they wanted him to come back to England and discuss it, etc., etc. 
And even though he'd never been in England for 11 years, it's his home country, his parents are still alive, his, his brothers, sisters, whatever, are still alive, and probably wanted to go back home, he refused to go home unless the king would authorize the translation of the Bible. In other words, the principle I've lived for, the, the Bible for all men, I'm not going to sacrifice that principle just for my own comfort hmm. or just so I can go back to my home country. He said, no, if you don't authorize that, I'll stay here and die. And so it's fascinating, you know, things, they took stands on, on a principle that was behind it, this, you know, mm-hmm. behind it. And to me, that's, that, that's relevant for us as a young, or a young person today, that the cause he was fighting for was bigger than him. Mm-hmm. And he, would, he, he stuck to that all the way to the end. I think today we live in an age where there's people that want to try and do change in society or they want to change things in their church or their life. But are they fully committed to it? Yeah. You know, we have, you probably heard the phrase slacktivism today, where people <laughs> just make hashtags and, and post things online, uh-huh. but does it really make real change? I mean, some of them do, some of them do, but a lot of them are just reposts and likes and mm-hmm. retweets. And I think to have real change in our lives or real change in our churches or societies, it takes real physical face to face action. Mm-hmm. And that's something we see with the reformers, they weren't just kind of hiding behind. Um, you know, a faceless, you know, virtual movement, they were actually on the ground involved. Okay, yeah. So this tells me that not only did they think it was a great cause, but they really believed in it. Mm-hmm. They bought into it and yeah. were willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. no matter what. Now, we've talked a lot about, you know, the positive sides of the Christian uh, Reformation um, and history. But do you see things that happened and the Reformation that we don't want to repeat today. Yeah, I think that you see something in the Protestant Reformation that's not that great. Mm-hmm. And, for example, you would have some Protestant reformers who would come along, they had left Catholicism, and they had made certain changes, and those changes were good. Then you had someone else that would be part of that group that would look at what they now stood for, mm. like, like the 2.0 version of what they used to be, and say, well, actually, we need to make another adjustment. But then the other people in the group would be like, no, we don't. This is who we are. And they're like, no, but the Bible says we need to change this. And then that group would then become ostracized from the bigger group. Mm -hmm. And what you tended to find was people would often only advance as far as maybe their leader advanced, Mm -hmm. as opposed to thinking for themselves and examining things um, really closely. Mm -hmm. And so that's not the best example for us today. But I think, you know, we should be, you know, always striving to understand things in their full entirety. Another bad thing, though, is how often people restricted, people who had their own rights restricted, would then restrict the rights of other people. Hmm. So, for example, even there was a movement called the Anabaptist, uh-huh. um, which basically means rebaptism, And they came along and they said, hey, you know, baptism as a child is not enough, you need to be baptized as an adult. The Bible says we need to believe, etc. And they wanted to preach rebaptism. They were called the Anabaptists. And the Protestants who had broke away from the Catholics, they didn't like this new teaching. <laughs> and so the Anabaptists, they got killed as much by the Catholics as they did by the Protestants. Wow, that's incredible. Which is kind of really sad when you have <laughs> Protestants that would even kill other Protestants. Uh-huh. And so not everything in the Reformation was all you know, squeaky clean and not everything was all right. And th- those are some of the sad Mm. Um, darker sides of the Reformation. I mean, overwhelmingly, it's all positive. But I think that's that's one lesson that we can learn today that we should, you mm. know, if we've we should not kind of restrict the rights or restrict the 
development of other people's thought. Mm -hmm. And then... So how do we relate this to being an Adventist? Because as Adventists, you know, we do have a sense of feeling like we've arrived at truth. Mm -hmm. How do we prevent ourselves from getting into that same mindset when we're closed off from anything else that God God might want to reveal to us Mm -hmm. while still maintaining our Adventist identity? I think as Adventists, there's certain things that we know um, that are kind of core or key doctrinal or fundamental beliefs sometimes we call them a landmark teaching or doctrine and that's what kind of defines you as an Adventist Mm -hmm. now as as a church we have built on those over time what we have today is not exactly what we had in 1863 yeah Um, correct in 1863 we didn't even have a a solidified teaching on diet which came slightly after that in 1863 we didn't have the doctrine of tithe that came in 1879. In 1863, we didn't have a settled um, understanding or doctrine of the Trinity. That didn't come until the 1930s or 40s, which is about 70 years later. Hmm. And so, as a church, we have added things over time. I mean, even in my lifetime, we went from having 27 fundamentals to 28 fundamentals in the <laughs> right. last you know, 10 years or so. And so, I think as a church historically we've shown that we are open over the last 150 years mm-hmm. to um, doctrinal development and, and and finding out what are some of the key beliefs that we stand for. Mm-hmm. And so I think we, we, we historically have shown an openness to that, and I think we should continue to do that. It's not like, well, now we've got everything. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, as we continue to study and as we continue to live in society, maybe there's more truths that may have been more important than we, than we mm-hmm. saw before. Maybe we haven't settled on them. But at the same time, we don't want to be arrogant uh-huh. and think that, you know, what we have now, we've, we've arrived. We should always be on a journey. And that could be a journey on our key beliefs. But more importantly, it's a journey that's a personal journey as well, mm-hmm. where, you know, we're always examining how we apply the truth to our lives personally and how we, how we match up to that or how we, mm. you know, are we living up to what we know is, is, is a bigger question, I think. I really appreciate how you how you stated that. Just having a healthy respect for where God's led us mm-hmm. and being open to something that might progress in that same way without throwing out everything mm-hmm. that God's already yeah. Yeah, brought to light. Just looking at all the conversation that we've had about people and, and their interactions with truth and the Bible. Which of these um, historical issues do you think are uh, still alive I guess you know we've talked about principles, mm-hmm. um, but are there any particular you know theological issues or crises that you have come up like over and over again in history and are still living? I think marriage really is one. If you think of the Reformation, the teaching of marriage was under threat from the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. They believed you it was more holy or spiritual not to be married and 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 have sex than it was than than two. Hmm. And so you had the clergy who were celibate, a higher form of spirituality, and then you had the laity who were just kind of, you know, couldn't control hmm. their loins. But that teaching itself caused great, terrible practices to happen in the church, you know, because it's stifling mm-hmm. the natural desires of men. And that's something that you find in the Reformation. The Reformers came along, and in many ways it was like a sexual revolution. Because hmm. Martin Luther got married to, a, to an escaped <laughs> nun, John Calvin got married, and they and they actively taught, no, go and get married, and 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 you know enjoy marriage. Uh-huh. And the Puritans who came after them, and other people, you know, that they actively 
promoted the institution of marriage. I think marriage today is another institution that's under threat. Mm. Not necessarily maybe from the religious side of society. You could say it's more of a threat from the secular, liberal side of society, mm. where people are questioning you know, gender issues and all those types of things today. And I think that's a, a still a relevant issue for us mm-hmm. to grapple with as a church. We may be, or as Christians, we may be getting the pressure or attacks from different sides, but it's still something that is a threat. That's a, that's a great thought. I would never have connected those two ideas together. As a young person who may not have much background in, in Christian history, how do I get my feet wet and, and find resources that are not too scholarly or, or heavy? What's a great place that I can go to to get honest feedback on, on Christian history and apply it to my own life? The book Great Controversy is great. Yeah? It's got a broad sweep of history. It's not... If you like, you know, all the deep, the finer details, it's not so much there. It gives a broad sweep mm-hmm. and the spiritual lessons of history. I think the book Great Controversy is a great place to start uh, by Ellen White. It's not too long. It's like the first half is made really the Protestant Reformation mm-hmm. and early church history. And that's a great, a great place to start. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate that you can make it out and share with us some of these uh, principles from history and how young people can take away from that and also learn from... Thank you for spending your time with us. We are grateful for Adam Ramden's involvement and hope you have enjoyed our discussion as much as we did.